Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my topic today is actually one of the last of the human freedoms, as Viktor Frankl you've just heard mentions. It's, we are never free of circumstances. But it's so it's not freedom from, it's freedom to. That's what I'm going to be talking about. But today, and within that, I will be talking about loss and the various types of loss and also the emotional, physical, spiritual loss. And today I was watching CNN earlier, and I was watching in horror the Notre Dame Cathedral and the devastating fire there. And it really brought home to me how loss is felt in so many different ways. There was there, they showed the crowds of people who had gathered, and they were all connected in this unbelievable mourning and grief and horror that they were witnessing. Some of them were crying together, holding on to each other. Some were actually singing. For me, it was an amazing view of, of actual connection within this loss. Now, many people lately have asked me to talk about loss, but I have chosen to talk about freedom in loss because, as I said, we are never free from challenges, but we are free to respond. My life's work has been in the field of bereavement, loss, illness, life's challenges in all its many stages and loss in its many guises. I've had the role of therapist, friend, relative, silent witness and listener. If you would like to join me on this program and you would like to send a message, please do so on SMS 34519 or WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. I have a few YouTubes after the various breaks and I have a a song at the end if we have time and I would like to really hear from you if you would like to. Now, at times I have cried with the people who have allowed me into their lives in their times of questioning and despair. I have cried in the silent spaces of my own mind for the pain I have witnessed. And I have often grappled with the meaning of such pain and suffering. And very definitely, I have often questioned God. But beyond all that personal searching, what has kept me in this work has been the absolute privilege of being allowed into a person's life as they themselves grapple with their tremendous challenges. Being witness to a person's ability to self-transcend their pain, their fear, their heartache, to actually rise above their circumstances, is to be blessed to see the true power of the human spirit. This is our core. This gives us the unique power to actually find the strength required to walk forward into life, to say yes to life despite unbearable suffering. Meeting the challenge to become the person we are meant to be, to be, to become. In other words, responding to life. 
Without doubt, as we all know, life is transitory. There is a beginning and an end. And grief is an inescapable part of life. And often when I have been asked to talk to a, a group of older people, I look out at the faces and I see etched in all those faces, not lines, not suffering, but the ability to endure, the ability to actually to move forward within whatever they have suffered. The first man was called Adam, man, a human being. He was made from the earth, Adama. Well, we are here to tread carefully on this earth. And as Hashem calls out to us, Adam, where are you? It is our choice how we respond. As a clod of earth, Adam is nothing. But by shaping himself, he is everything that he chooses to be. Using all his unique gifts. I'm certainly not saying that this is an easy task. It certainly isn't. And just as Hashem asks of um, Adam, where are you? So there are many times that we as human beings also ask Hashem, God, where are you in my time of need, of fear, of despair? Unfortunately, does questioning bring us clarity? If it does, that is certainly a blessing. But there is the blessing and the curse, as stated in the Torah, to recognize the path of blessings and the path of hardships, of, of uh, curses. I was reading an article by Rabbi um, Jonathan Sachs, and uh, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Moses says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Now, Maimonides um, said that this takes us into the, the, the area of free will, of the belief that we do have the free will. And some people believe it's in, deter, uh, you know, determinism that takes away our choice. The, the fatalistic perspective places us at the mercy of what life throws at us. But Viktor Frankl said, if we accept fatalism that our circumstances define us, we are forever held captive to them. But we can choose to believe that we have the freedom to do just that, to choose. And this is our only freedom. As Frankl says when he sums this up, he says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. With Pesach coming up very soon, I realize that this is probably why, and Easter, I think this is probably why people, because uh, I began to wonder why had, uh, at least four people from different faiths have asked me to have a program on loss. And I wondered why at this particular time I'm being asked that. But I realize that with festivals coming up, it is that empty place at the table that is not filled anymore. That, that is always going to be there that empty space within us of for a loss of someone that we have loved. And I think that is why I have actually been asked to do this program, and I decided I would. Now, with Pesach coming up very soon, I thought about also the Exodus and how along the path of destiny, of unalterable fate, we, uh, we, we sometimes enter our own desert. But I'm going to go back to that shortly.
This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. You can SMS me on 34519 or you can WhatsApp me on 0618951019. I'm going to uh, be playing you a YouTube by Dr. Alex Patakos on Meaning and the Pursuit of Happiness. He wrote the book Prisoners of Our Thoughts. He is a logotherapist, he's a professor, uh, and he is quite amazing. Thank you, Craig. Right now on People Jam Experts, some information about the pursuit of happiness. Dr. Alex Patakos, the author of Prisoners of Our Thoughts, tell me, is happiness something someone can really pursue? Very good question, Rob. Uh, Prisons of Our Thoughts, I think the title itself kind of gives us an idea that in many cases happiness is something that is either locked in uh, in our own inner mental prison, if you will, uh, and it's something that uh, we end up constantly pursuing and realizing that it's fleeting. Uh, one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that happiness is not something that you can really pursue. If you really want authentic happiness, uh, happiness needs to ensue from doing something else caring for somebody else, uh, trying to accomplish a deed. Uh, those, are the, those are the areas where true happiness will actually occur. I think an interesting paradox for most human beings is that we're constantly looking for that one thing, that one relationship, that one experience that will bring us true happiness. And ironically, I think most of the People Jam community will recognize real happiness occurs sometimes when you least expect it. Okay, so it's pretty evident that people would say, oh gosh, yeah, you can't find happiness in a thing, you can't find happiness in money. I think those are well-known concepts. But what about the group of people that says, okay, but you can put on a happy face, you can choose to be happy. What about those folks? Is that a valid approach? Well, I would say there's a distinction between happiness and having a positive attitude. Okay. Victor Frankl, and, and as I describe in Prisoners of Our Thoughts, the first principle of this book is the freedom to choose our attitude. And I think that by having and recognizing that we have that freedom, that that at least puts us in a direction in which we're open to the possibilities. But having a positive attitude doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be happy. I mean, right. if you're incarcerated in a Nazi concentration camp or Senator John McCain was in prison in Vietnam, he wasn't necessarily happy about his situation, but he was able to maintain a positive attitude that enabled him to survive and ultimately even thrive in terms of being an influence on other people. Uh, keep an eye out for other terrific advice from Dr. Alex Patakos here on People Jam. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. And if you would like to SMS me, please do so on 34519 or SMS me on 0618951019. Now, that was Alex Patakos, and I was telling you the story about um, the exodus and, and how I came to think about the desert that we each sometimes go into and we have to enter. Um, he was talking about our freedom to choose our attitude, which puts us sometimes in the direction toward that we want to go towards. So imagine, just for a moment, first of all, in the last few days, Tel Aviv was hit by a tremendous sandstorm coming from the desert. So imagine a person lost and alone in a sandstorm in the desert. What would he or she have to do to protect themselves as best they could? Obviously, they would have to pull their kafir, their scarf clothing, over their head to protect their eyes, their mouth, their nose, their ears from the sand. And then they would have to huddle down and wait for the sandstorm to eventually abate. 
What happens when it does abate? Will they recognize the landscape around them? The chances are no, because all traces of their footprints have been erased, and even a sand dune that was a landmark for them has disappeared. Will they feel lost, disoriented, scared, and alone? Most certainly. They probably feel shock, disbelief, and they probably shout out in anger and in this disbelief, not accepting that this is actually fate, unalterable fate. It's happened. When life becomes most difficult, it is often when we become, we begin to question what is our meaning to live. And instead of looking back at all that is lost, all that the footprints that we had come before, we are called to live primarily in the present to actually put one step after the other forward until a new path is found to begin to rescue ourselves. This is resilience. And resilience is something that we have within us. And it's also something that we have accumulated through the years, something that has helped us to survive different things that we often forget about. And, you know, this inner strength that we have uh, is is what uh, helps us make the changes and choose how to choose to respond to whatever comes. Now, what about true heroes? You know, so often uh, we are, the social media bombards us with what they would think of as heroes or heroines. They certainly are not the celebrities and their selfies. Very seldom are they those people. True heroes are often simple people facing unalterable fate with dignity and kindness towards themselves and others. And this is what Viktor Frankl calls logos, meaning this is where we find it. Every deed, he says, is its own monument. In short, every stand or attitude we take becomes part of the material that forms our own identity, our own monument. If we go back to Adam, it is shaping our own clod of earth, our Adama. There are many types of loss. And I would just like to say that one of the losses that is so often just not actually thought about is um, the, the disenfranchised loss. And disenfranchised loss is when a culture or a society or support group make the person feel that their loss and their grief is invalidated and insignificant. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. You are now going to be listening to a, a, a YouTube by on Jerry Long and Victor Frankel. Jerry Long was a, a young teenager of about 17 when he dove into a, a canal in America and he broke his neck and became a paraplegic, was totally, uh, 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 com- completely paralyzed from the neck down, a quadriplegic, from the neck down, and how he said, I broke my neck, but that didn't break me. This is a really good YouTube. I know, Dr. Frankel, that you have written that there are three ways to find meaning, one being in adopting an attitude toward a fate which cannot be changed, and in Jerry's case, 
uh, it seems to me that that's what logotherapy has done for you. You have a permanent uh, disability, a severe disability. There's nothing much you can do about that. But what you do have control over is your attitude. Could you tell us how logotherapy helped to shape your attitude? I think that it's important to remember my attitude adoption and the logotherapy that I employed initially was without any knowledge of logotherapy. I had not read any books and I had no acquaintance with it, but intuitively I modified my attitude toward the situation. In one particular line that, that Dr. Frankel quotes fairly often, I broke my neck, it didn't break me. I had a physical constraint that I had to deal with over which I could not change. I had no ability to suddenly walk again. However, I did have the ability to choose to live and at least attempt a meaningful life in spite of that physical disability. I think that substantiates uh, your theory that within uh, the human being is this innate searching for meaning. And it sounds like that's what you were doing, Jerry. And then when you read Dr. Frankel's work, it all fit together. This, it, this was exactly how you had been thinking. Did you it, have that It began feeling? to fit together. And as I've written, when I read his book, I was overcome with a sense of deja vu. Mm -hmm. Because several times, many times, he spoke of reactions and the way he felt and the way he interpreted his experiences in the concentration camps. And repeatedly were the times when I identified personally. I felt the exact same way when I lay in that hospital bed as he did when he was in that concentration camp. It's also a compliment, what uh, Jerry says, a compliment uh, for logotherapy in a strange way. Inasmuch as usually uh, each one who comes up with a uh, so-called new therapeutic uh, or other scientific approach prides himself to offer something new, as he as I said right before. Whereas we are proud to just dig out, to just making people more aware, more conscious of something that has been within themselves, built in, as it were, all along. The wisdom of the heart, the sapientia cordis, that it is called, even referred to in the Psalms. Uh, man, due to, uh, forgive my shifting the terminology from the Psalms, to, to logotherapy, what I am used to calling the pre-reflective ontological self-understanding is just that the fact that man knows all along intuitively, as he put it, Jerry put it, intuitively, uh, what life is all about. That life is uh, a chain of unique situations uh, implying unique potentialities to be actualized in a meaningful way. So the possibilities to invest meaning in our lives, uh, or for that matter in each single life situation, is, uh, is uh, virtually infinite. Because as you uh, were hinting too before, right before, <coughs> there are various ways or avenues or uh, leading up to to meaning fulfillment. And if one uh, uh, avenue is closed, then you have still others. And it's up to the intuition of a uh, really alert spirit as that of Jerry's to find out if I cannot do that, he said, physically. Yes. 
Yes. Over against uh, uh, mentally or spiritually or existentially for that matter. If I cannot use this avenue, I have to turn to another one. There are always possibilities and always alternatives. And he made Make use us. of this fact on the grounds of his intuitive, immense intuitive capacity. And that we are just verbalizing in logotherapy the uh, more or less unconscious or better to say implicit yes. wisdom of the man in the street. This is a compliment. This makes us proud. I wonder if So it's calling uh, forth the potential. Pardon me? Calling forth the potential that, that is within the, the human The awareness being. of the potentials inherent as potentialities waiting to be to become actualities. Right. I think your quote in Man's Search for Meaning is um, that we should not ask what we can expect from life but rather what life expects from us. And right. This is a Copernican switch turning the great, nay, the greatest question on the lips or in the hearts of any human being albeit more often than not on an unconscious level, turning this into, into the reverse. Actually, there is implied the fact that actually we, it's not up to us to ask the question what is the meaning of life, but upon closer scrutiny we might become aware in the final analysis that we are those who are asked, that life is asking questions to us questions we can answer, have to answer, but can answer only, not by verbal uh, uh, replies, but by action, by doing something. Each situation confronting us implies a question, but this question can only be answered uh, by our deeds, by our uh, acting, by our, not to say, our behavior, and if need be, if the situation uh, necessitates uh, to just to shoulder it, because we cannot do anything about it, for instance, a, a more or less permanent handicap, in such a case, what we can change is ourselves. Changing in the sense of rising above the situation, growing beyond ourselves. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and you've just been listening to Victor Frankl and, and uh, Jerry Long. And I found it a very enlightening um, YouTube, that. And you know that the feeling of um, of the loss of a limb, of a body part, machalet haguf is the illness of the body, the loss of body parts or the loss of body image. And there's a big similarity between the loss of a body part and the loss of a loved one. That feeling of the phantom limb of, of, um, of that part still being there, the searching for it, of missing it. And we're in constant interaction with the world around us. So the whole time we're actually, uh, are exploring ways and we are, we are as humans questioning beings. And as Viktor Frankl said, 
we 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 answer this question in our actions and our various actions and how we change ourselves to rise above what is happening going back for a moment to that um that desert just imagine that that implicit wisdom that we have within us that intuitive wisdom that he calls imagine that if we were lost in that lonely desolate desert um when we were feeling so alone that we have a, com- com- a compass or even we know how to navigate with the stars at night. Suddenly, at last, we will have something to guide us. And in our own lives, this is a lifesaver. It's something that gives our life purpose, a meaning, a reason to live. It actually takes us back onto a path and a direction towards finding the way home or back to ourselves. And one of our greatest losses is the loss of ourselves in a time of great sadness, which I I was going to be talking about earlier about disenfranchised grief. And I'd like to go back to that. It's a a phrase that was coined by a grief researcher, Ken Doka, uh, about 25, 30 years ago, I think. And um, he says that grief that persons experience when they incur a loss that is not or cannot be openly acknowledged, socially sanctioned, or publicly mourned. Now, this comes in so many ways. For instance, a death by suicide, drug overdose. What about losing a pet? One of the biggest disenfranchised griefs that I have really come to recognize and, and, uh, and appreciate is the loss of a stepfather, a stepmother, a stepbrother, a stepsister, or a stepchild, you know. So often, the immediate relative is given the the rights to mourn, but the person who happens to be a step person in the family is not. And even if they have been in the person's life for forever, they still are seen as outsiders. And it's a, it's such a we need to acknowledge that. The other thing that I've really come to recognize is. The domestic workers, especially in our country, we have domestic workers who have worked with us for years and years and years, helping us bring up our children, caring for us as we hopefully care for them. But when somebody is lost, somebody dies, they they don't get much recognition for the loss that has they have incurred, and I think it's something that we need to be more aware of. What about grieving for someone that you have worked with for a long, long time, someone that you see every single day, but it's not recognised. You you was you're seen as a as a worker that was, and it's not really that that recognised. Uh, death by um, AIDS. Is HIV is often a silent death. It's uh, it's a, there's a shame attached to it, and that shame takes away the ability, the, uh, the allowing the person to actually feel the, the terrible loss. Um, the death of a partner in an extramarital affair, that is quite a big one, and it's also certainly not not recognised, just as the loss of an ex-spouse is not recognised. The other thing that I think that we need to recognize that where there is not a death but a certainly a loss is when parents divorce 
and the children uh, live with one parent and not the other. There's a huge loss in that for the children, and that is so often not recognized because they have to keep it silent so often to protect the the, the parents from each other, especially if it's a, a divorce with a lot of animosity. Um, of the other one, of course, is, is the death of um, a, a stillbirth, um, a same-sex partner, um, a miscarriage. Uh, what about estrangement from family? So often, you know, families don't talk to each other for years and years and years. Suddenly there's a loss or death. And they all come together at the funeral, and there is this huge grief, a pouring out of grief. Um, then, of course, there's also the disenfranchised grief of not showing enough emotion while grieving. Now, who are we to judge that, for goodness sake, or showing too much emotion while, while grieving? And the other ones, of course, are um, loss of language, of culture, of tradition. And we see that happening a lot at the moment in our refugees. Loss of hopes, of dreams for the future. And that loss often comes in in life-changing, chronic illness, um, that you have to give up on some of the dreams. The illnesses like fibromyalgia, like diabetes, like those which are have a devastating effect on the person suffering with the chronic illness. But those losses are often not. The losses of dreams, of hopes, of having to change so much of yourself are not recognized. Now, there's such a beautiful poem which says, Beautiful people do not just happen. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep Loving concern. The most beautiful people do not just happen. And I love that because that goes back to my topic, the freedom towards. It's not freedom from. It's freedom to respond. Please WhatsApp me if you would like to on 34519. Or, uh, I mean, yes, WhatsApp on 0618951019 or SMS on 34519. Now, going back to uh, different losses, as we search and we search and we search for different meanings, there is as a mental illness which is known as the Machalet Hanefesh. I think that's how you would... Uh, Describe it. It's the illness of the soul. And this highlights the anguish of struggling that the person and the family deal with with mental illness. There is such a stigma attached to it that many people won't ever discuss this openly. There's that anxiety, depression, bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, eating disorders, um, the postpartum depression, suicide. All of these come under the heading of loss, and we need to recognize that. It's the loss of the self, the dark night of the soul, the loneliness, the despair, the heartache, the anger and the guilt and the shame at the self that comes with it. And often it's this shame that keeps the person and the family silent. And, you know, it can be life-threatening. 
And we, we need to bring it to the open to discuss it, to allow people to discuss it with us if they would like to discuss it with us. Because loss of the self is such a huge loss. And this can come about, it's a loss of identity. And identity is, is a strange thing because we think of ourselves and we define ourselves often in the story we tell about who we are. And we kind of put together the story of everything that's come together to create our identity. But we often don't always have, we're not always conscious that we have lost some of this identity. And that it actually is in the background of us. And it's as though we are watching a movie and not of our lives, but being bystanders and not really being in there. Um, but this is actually this part of loss of our, our of identity is often such a, 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 a huge part of grief. And this can come about if you are living with someone who has a terminal, as they call it, terminal illness. Um, I don't believe in that terminology personally, but um, a life-threatening illness Um and you yourself are trying so hard to come to terms with the fear that you're feeling. The person experiencing that illness is in their own way letting go of so many dreams that they had, so many things that they were holding on to about themselves, and suddenly they're having to reinvent a new self. And that is often having to be done in such immense emotional and physical pain. But I, I have spoken quite often at different associations and I have worked in the hospice uh, arena for a long, long, I had worked for a long, long time. And I began to recognize that cancer is certainly not something that only affects the person who has been given the diagnosis. The moment a diagnosis is given, the entire family begin to what I call cancering because it never just affects a lone person when you're working as a family system. There's family dynamics. Often, if it's not spoken about, the children hear bits and pieces in the background. They hear people talking on the telephones, and it's a very frightening experience for them because they they recognize that there's something serious going on, but they're not being part of it. That's when we need other people to talk to about it, to give us some advice, to actually help the entire family learn to work together in this. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm back again on my subject, the freedom not from circumstances, but the freedom to choose how we respond to those circumstances. We're going to be playing a YouTube by Mary Jo Bolton, who's a clinical director of counseling services, and it's on resilience. I hope you enjoy it. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity, to survive tragic and traumatic events. Resilience actually is something that we all have. And the fact that you've survived trauma says that resilience is something that you have too. Surviving trauma takes courage and creativity and strength. Sometimes though, the ways that people had to survive, the things they had to do to survive during or after the trauma leaves people feeling shame, embarrassment and guilt. 
There may have been things that you had to do to get through. It's important that you know that if you have any of those feelings, that that's very common, that you're not alone with that. But it's also important to remember that the fact that you survived is something to be celebrated and that how you survived should be honored. Part of resiliency and recovery is looking at the ways that you survive now. There may be things that you do now that you learn to do as a result of the trauma that in fact are hurting your life now. Things like alcohol and drug abuse, using anger and rage to push people away, maybe numbing out and spacing out, meaning you're not present for yourself or in your relationships. These are all things that are common after someone's experienced trauma. The fact that we can list these things now on a website says that they're common experiences, that you're not alone with going through these things. You've probably heard the term post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. What you may not have heard of is post-traumatic growth. Now that's just the reality that sometimes after a trauma, someone can actually go on to survive and thrive from the experience. Now that isn't to say that it makes having gone through something horrendous worthwhile or to minimize the negative impact. It's just to acknowledge that sometimes incredible gifts can come from something tragic. People sometimes talk about having a new appreciation for life, getting their priorities in line. Sometimes victims of crime have been the people in our system that have been powerful agents of change within the criminal justice system. So however big or small the changes, positive things can sometimes come from trauma. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. You know, um, I read a, a, a very good article on Chabad.org called Roots of Resilience. And if you get a chance, I'd really suggest that you, you read it. It's about the resilience and how the Torah tells us that for man is a tree of the field. And it goes on to say there's something very grounding about trees and um, how we can look at them as ourselves. So I would suggest you do read it if you want to. But, going, you know, that resilience, I think that's one of the, the greatest privileges for me has been to, to actually see people, the resilience that people sh- show, and to be able to live within this confusion and to turn their suffering into a human achievement through the attitude they take towards this feeling of helplessness. We certainly can't stop what is happening in the world or in our families. And so it is our attitude that we take and our ability to change what can be changed. I say so often it's moving from victim to victor. The human spirit is incredibly strong. And sometimes when you feel that you're not going to survive the emotional and physical pain you're in, your spirit somehow knows with a deep inner knowing that you will find the strength to go on and to face your challenges. There are certainly many times when certain events such as illness, shock, trauma, grief, loss, pain, loneliness make us believe that we are drowning and that we have lost the inner strength to survive. And yet there is no event that can take our spirit, our healthy core from us. It is our essence, the core of who we are. And it is in absolute awe that I look at friends And people that I have known and worked with who have lost children, which is just the most terrible, unnatural loss, 
but they have gone on and they have found a new way to live within the pain. The, uh, the, that has, just has taught me so much. I would like to read this. It's my, my brother's, uh, Yotza, the, well, actually the day, the time of his death, the end of this week. And this my, my nephew read, The Dash. I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that the special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash. I wish you all a happy Pesach and a happy Easter. Um, we are going to be listening to a, a Zen message on the golden bars. When a bowl is broken in Japan, it's put back together with the cracks being filled with gold, creating a beautiful lining. This is to emphasize the beauty in what was once broken. They believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it makes it more beautiful. And the same goes for human beings. Everything that you've been through, everything that you're going through, doesn't make your life uglier. Although it may seem that way when we're going through it, it's up to us to choose to paint our struggles with gold and make it beautiful. You are not broken beyond repair. You can pick yourself up and learn from what's happened and become a better person from it because of the struggle that you've been through. You can wear your scars proudly as a badge of honor, as if to say, look at what I've been through. It's made me who I am today and I can get through anything life puts in front of me now. Nobody has had a perfect life and nobody ever will. It's only up to us if we choose to paint our broken pieces gold and make it beautiful. Don't be ashamed of what's happened to you. Everything that has happened to you has happened to you for a reason. So the more we deny, the more we complain and don't accept what's happened to us, then it doesn't become useful. The moment that we accept and find what's useful in the struggle, the things that we've been through, that's just like us painting the cracks in our broken pieces gold, turning something that could be ugly into something beautiful and inspiring. When what you have been through is inspiration for other people, then it was all worth it. So don't get stuck on how things used to be. I once heard a quote that said, every next level of your life will demand a new you. And sometimes it takes being broken in order to become that new version of yourself. So if you're going through hard times, I hope this video can help you or somebody that you love. My name is Sean Uranahira. Sudikap.
This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, it's Sue Jackson. I'm back just before ending. But what I'd like to say is that what that uh, YouTube was talking about, uh, which I think is very beautiful, about actually recognizing our cracks and fixing them with gold. Um, it's not to say that you, that if you actually look at that YouTube, you'll see that there are many, many cracks in the in a bowl, but um, it's fixed with with uh, with gold, and it's it's quite an amazing YouTube. Um, and you know, we we so often question, I don't know who I am anymore. Uh, because we do have lost ourselves. But as he said, every new stage in our lives demands a new you. And this is never easy, finding a new you. We have to give up on so many of our preconceived ideas of um, a lot of the loss comes within that, loss of identity, loss of physical things, emotional things, whatever it might be. But um, we do have the strength. We definitely do to have to actually go through with that and find our new identity. Is it easy? It never is, as I've said before. And um, I would like to now actually wrap up by once again just wishing you all a peaceful time. And um, and I just hope that you find your own strength, as we all should. Um, we're going to be ending with a song by Donna Winner, or I think her name's Wine or a Winner, I'm not sure, and it's Where Your Road Leads. <laughs> 